You're listening to an episode of Law Review Squared, the Law Review Review. It is 8 p.m. on Wednesday, October 28th, 2020. I'm joined today by our panel, Naila, Seth, and Courtney, who all asked to answer the question, what is your favorite legal term of art? Let's start with Seth. Hey, folks, my name is Seth Trotter. I'm a 1L Dickinson Law, and my favorite term of art is demur. Okay. Uh, Naila? Not my class. <laughs> That's a reference to our teacher, Professor Terry, who teaches Civ Pro, and she loves to tell us or to clarify anything regarding substance law is not her class. <laughs> and Courtney? I think the one I like really saying is anticipatory repudiation. <laughs> And I am Tony Fernando, and I thought that I was going to get the biggest laugh by saying my favorite term was objection, but I think Naila won that round. <laughs> uh, while supplies last, you can get a free Law Review Squared sticker by sending your mailing address to lexclava at gmail.com. That's L-E-X-C-L-A-V-A at gmail.com. We will not share your personal information with anyone, and I will actually be deleting your mailing addresses and email addresses after I send out the stickers. Reminder that the opinions here are those of the panelists and do not represent the view of Penn State Dickinson Law, the panelists' present, former, or future employers, or any other entity. The contents of this recording do not constitute legal advice. Today's topic is Exemption 4 of the Freedom of Information Act, also referred to as FOIA. FOIA is one of the first sunshine laws, which were designed to increase transparency in government. Under FOIA, anyone can request records from a government agency, such as NASA, the FAA, or even the Department of Defense. The agency then has a time period in which to respond and must release all information relevant to the request, although there are certain pieces of information that the agency can redact or refuse to provide. FOIA is particularly important for journalists who use the law to obtain emails and memos related to the subjects they're researching. The article we're using for our discussion today is by Jane E. Kirtley, Scott Mammel, and Jonathan Anderson, entitled More Substantial Harm Than Good, Recrafting FOIA's Exemption 4 After Food Marketing Institute vs. Argus Leader Media, which appeared in the Mitchell Hamline Law Review in 2020. Go to our website at lawreviewsquared.com to get a link to the article. Now on to the discussion. First question. In 2016, the FOIA uh, required agencies to operate using a presumption of openness. That is, information must be released unless the agency could show that harm would result. Does this seem like a reasonable standard for an agency to follow? How does an agency protect from unanticipated harms that could be caused by a bad actor receiving information? And let's start with Courtney. So I actually, having um, worked with the government and the military, am really appreciative of what FOIA can offer in terms of protecting information that, if released to the public, um, would cause harm. And I I appreciate that that's something that has been addressed. Um, As for the 2016 improvement, I guess I'm not entirely sure that it's a change, but I don't know that it's an improvement to what FOIA had to offer. Um, It doesn't, and this is what we see with the Argus leader, it doesn't explicitly say what that harm is or what those standards are. And um, I think if that would have been provided as a definition, that would have been an improvement. Naila or Seth? You know, I would agree with Courtney. I mean, I feel like, you know, some of this language is ambiguous and I I don't see where there's a difference. I, I, I can, I can understand perhaps empathize with a corporation that's signed on to do business with the government 
where they might not want certain trade secrets to be shared. Um, I mean, but we're not always talking about the secrets of Coca-Cola, the ingredients. We're talking about how dollars are spent. So where is the fine line? What what should we know as a, you know, the taxpaying American? And I think um, I think the statute sort of narrows the gap between trade secret and, you know, quote unquote, harmful information. Um, businesses in general are some of the most adaptive and flexible entities that our society has. And you know, we see even today with uh, the COVID responses, I mean, small businesses are getting getting crushed by it, but they're also adapting very quickly. And so this idea that the statute and, and the resulting opinions um, are seeking to protect businesses to the extent that it it limits transparency in government. Uh, I mean, are, are these things actually harmful? And I think we have to ask ourselves that because businesses, again, they adapt every day and they can work around these these different quote unquote harmful occurrences if the information was released. Yeah, I was like looking at the, the Argus um, example and one of the arguments, I guess, the grocery store chain or whatever the, you know, whoever represented the um, the grocery stores was saying that if um, it would protect them from another grocery store, perhaps opening up in the same like, comp- competitive reasons. Right. So I'm um, first thing that across my mind is like, what you want to have a monopoly on the food stamp, um, like who's spending food stamps is like, you know, are we, are you getting a hundred thousand dollars a day in food stamps in this community? Cause you're the only grocery store. And now if another one opens up in the same neighborhood, you're going to lose half of that. Um, to me, that crosses the monopoly laws that we're not allowed to have monopolies and that kind of blocks fair trade. What was the justification? So that was almost exactly the justification that the snap revenues at one location could cause a competitor to decide to come in and start offering uh, to, to accept snap uh, benefits at that location. And that's a good lead into, into our next question. Um, since 1966, FOIA had included a provision that protects financial and business information, but is that reasonable? And shouldn't a company that's doing business with the government be willing to see the public, let the public know what, what, that business is doing with the public's tax money. Um, Anybody want to start with that one? So I was actually really surprised to read that as far back as 1966, the interest of the companies is what was safeguarded. Um, When I think of FOIA, in my mind, I think of harm in terms of public security or the safety of our nation, not necessarily a business doing um, or a corporation doing business with the government. Uh, As far as then what the public is able to see with that, um, it almost makes it, uh, it feels a little shady uh, in that if we were to ask a a corporation to release their tax information for an IRS audit, um, wouldn't that have to be released that, you know, that's not protected under FOIA. So just because the government is doing business with them, what are we really protecting the businesses or um, like their actual uh, profits or are we protecting our public? You know, like in, in this case, you know, that was cited in the law review, it's, it seems like they are protecting the interests of companies that were opting in to do business with the government where they had an option not to. So grocery stores do not have to accept SNAP 
from my research. Am I correct? I, I believe not, you're correct. It, it's not mandatory that they accept SNAP. It's not mandatory. So, you know, would it cause harm for Whole Foods to stop accepting stamps? Like, who's harm? Would it cause harm to the SNAP recipients who this might be one of the few places in their town or a city that will offer organic items to for them and they only would or be subjected to the average grocery store that has much limited organic items so there to me there might be a reason to sort of hold the hand of a corporation that does not have to buy in to the government programs but then i think about why would a company not want to accept SNAP if it's you know if they're getting a lot of money from it? I I really like this article. I think uh, it it especially highlights how much of a balancing act policy, uh, well, public policy especially is, um, because uh, you know to an extent we do um, have to protect corporations, but also to an extent we have to even more so protect the public and. And uh, I remember uh, there's a, a great metaphor that public policy is sort of like a bomber plane flying over and the policy is sort of you know, the bomb coming down. And it's it's really tough to find out what's going to happen on the ground. And, and that's, I think, where the courts come in and, and that's where the debate happens. I, I think there's some good points coming out here. Uh, part of the uh, question with FOIA is that the older standard, which came from a case involving um, basically the tourist concessions at national parks, the older standard was a two-part standard, and the agency that was going to deny request was required to show that disclosing the information would impair the government's ability to obtain the information in the future, or that disclosure would cause substantial harm to the person for whom the information was obtained. So the uh, that idea that like maybe a corporation if they had their information disclosed, would decide to stop doing business with the government, perhaps stop accepting SNAP benefits or uh, you know, would, would draw from those problems, was apparently in the mind of Congress. The new test, as written by Justice Gorsuch, is to determine whether the information provided is customarily treated as private by the owner and given to the government under an assurance of privacy without any consideration of harm. Justice Byers' dissent suggested that the intent of FOIA was to provide information to the public which it would not otherwise have, so there must be something beyond a customary privacy to justify non-disclosure. Which justice did you find yourself aligning most closely with, and whose opinion did you find most compelling? I'm a big Seth. Uh, I'm a big Byer fan. I, I liked. I've been listening to some of the recent arguments too, especially, and he's pretty sharp up there. Um, and I do think that FOIA was ultimately. Uh, intended um, for public oversight of government operations and to to water that down um, in in this specific instance is is over time watering that down could be especially harmful. I am not sure that Justice Breyer specifically commented on the portion of Justice Gorsuch when he had mentioned that. Uh, to treat the information as a private entity by its owners. Uh, it's not private. It's not a private entity. It is the government. Um, and so I think that Justice Breyer had kind of mentioned on it, mentioned it, but especially in the commentary when it discusses uh, several observers had expressed concern with the majority's ruling 
particularly its impact on the news media's ability to cover matters of public interest. And so by siding um, against the Argus leader, you know, what, what are we really giving up? Uh, what are we gaining by that information being covered? And what are we giving up by not having that information released? Does the newsworthiness of the information matter? So the Argus leader was the newspaper and they thought that there was a story there that the public would be interested in. in, um, It specifically had to do with SNAP benefits being essentially resold on the black market at at these grocery stores. So that's something that people would find newsworthy. But um, if it had been purely financial information that was not um, newsworthy, yeah, should that have more of a uh, protection put on it? I think the term newsworthiness is pretty subjective, and to try to codify that is incredibly difficult. Yeah, I agree with you, Seth. Um, what's newsworthy for me, sorry, noise in the background, what's new, newsworthy for me is not going to be newsworthy for you all the time. Um, and sometimes what's newsworthy will be protected by what's my well, not my financial interest, but someone's financial interest will determine what's newsworthy and what's not newsworthy. Or, um, but I, you know, I, I'm a staunch believer in um, transparency. And as an American citizen and a taxpaying American citizen, I, I want to know what the budgets are or of the different um, federal organizations like you know i want to know where the money is going i want to know you know sometimes more than who is getting paid what because you know sometimes we just look at at that level but we might you know there might be some more information like you know who is contracted to um for example school lunches you know who's contracted to provide the school lunches and so uh, where's that budget and sometimes there might be some drill down information in there that might be important for the public to know, especially those that are sending their children to school in these public schools. I mean, I think that's a good point. And and it is true that what's newsworthy to you might not be newsworthy to me. I know I spent a lot of time in state government and both Arkansas and Minnesota, they had, uh, it was not called FOIA, but they had public data release laws. And so things that would be requested every year was like the salary of every person on the state of Arkansas's payroll. And you, know, you knew that was out there. It was going to be out there every year in the newspaper. Um, but somebody was interested in that, you know, even if it was a little bit uncomfortable for, for me as an employee. Yeah, like for me, like, it's interesting. Like, you know, I have, a, I have a child and there's a school across the street from our home. And I'm often wondering the source of the food. I've seen the food be dropped off, but you know, I would like to know what farms are getting it from. And that might introduce GMO food that our children are getting fed. You know, there, there's a lot of information that can come out from what you think is a small inquiry that can explode in in the face of the provider. And and I think when we do water these things down and we do kind of start whittling away at things like FOIA, I mean, we see the effects of what's happening in the article um, and notes that the EPA had approved a new rule that allowed EPA officials to review all the material that fit uh, a FOIA request and then essentially decide on their own whether to release or withhold the documents. And so when you start to kind of peel away that statutory protections, 
Depending on who is running these agencies, they can end up kind of calling all the shots, even in instances that is against the public's best interest. Courtney, when you were, uh, because you worked actually with some very sensitive stuff in the Army, Um, I mean, had you been or had you ever worked on a FOIA request? Yeah, I think the weirdest thing is having to request your own information via FOIA. (laughs) Yes, I give consent to me. Uh, No, obviously, that's not exactly how it works. But you do have to specify why you're requesting the information. Um, So not just anybody can submit, or it doesn't take an article or a newspaper to have the justification for this. Literally, anybody can request under FOIA for information to be released, um, but without any kind of just cause. And that's where I think this harm, uh, what we talk about a lot in here so far has been the harm, but what's the benefit to be outweighed by that information being sharing. So that cost benefit analysis is what's kind of done to make sure, you know, is this information that can be put out that will offer a benefit to the public? um, Or is it more beneficial for the information not to be shared with the public? And when we start in including private corporations, I think that's where we get really hazy in what's the purpose of FOIA. So would you see more of a, like there should be a, a national security exemption to FOIA? And I think I, I think most people would agree to that. We don't want the plans for our nuclear bombs being out on the internet. Um, but uh, that there would it perhaps be reasonable if some of the, I mean, maybe even this financial exemption should go away entirely. Oh, that, I mean, that's just such a, a tough question to say entirely, <laughs> um, because I don't know the ramifications of what it would be to entirely remove that portion. But I do think it's a really touchy subject to say taxpayer dollars are going to be spent, but we're not going to tell you how. Um, that really does, whether, you know, Regardless of your political standpoint, that does allow for a lot of concern, I would think. Um, So entirely remove that piece, I'm not sure. But to say that simply because a corporation might have some harm to their business and therefore the information isn't going to be released does feel like an overstep. The subjectivity of harm, too, as we've already talked about at length, is is pretty... uh, Pretty iffy, too. I I think the court's ruling in the Argus case um, was a little too broad, maybe. And by by pulling out that that financial um, portion of it, it was um, it was a little rough. It was um, I'm conflicted. Um, You know, I've used the FOIA Act before. I find it beneficial. Um, I haven't used it to obtain financial information, though. And. I could very well see myself doing that in the future, depending on what I'm researching. And um, I think that there should be, I think that I would probably be very concise on why I need it um, and try to use as much justification as possible. And although the the terms in the statute are, um, and the act are vague, I think that I would use be be very clear 
on the reasons why I, I want it. So to eliminate their way of squirming out to not present it. Shifting gears a little bit, um, there was another case that was discussed towards the end of the article, and that was CompTEL's FOIA request with regard to a case FCC versus AT&T. And in that case, the Supreme Court determined that there was no expectation of privacy for corporations under Exception 7. One could look at this Exception 4 as creating a right to privacy for corporations. Should corporations be extended a right to privacy over their operations? And to what extent would it matter if the corporation is doing business with the government? And I want to start that. I think that it's it's reasonable to say that if we have hired a private corporation to assist us with a bio warfare defense <laughs> mechanism, I would not want the specific, you know, the specifics of that corporation's um, acts to be revealed in the meantime. I, I think that that's obvious. I mean, that's if we're talking black and white here, I think that that's on one edge of the spectrum of something that obviously should be protected, even though they are a private entity. Um, so again, I don't know that to say just be, just because they're not government themselves, they should have no protection. And I think there's a an interesting concept to play in that it's almost like an implied or it could be sort of an implied um, concept that if you do business with the government on one side, the corporation essentially guaranteed revenue. It's pretty, pretty uh, safe bet doing business with the government. You're not going to, they're not going to default or something, but on the other hand, you might have to give up a little bit more information than you would if you were to contract with another private company or corporation. And so um, I, I agree with Courtney in the having some sort of a, or potentially having some sort of a, a national defense or national security exception. Um, but in a broader term, like in this case with with the um, the SNAP benefits, I mean, it, it, it kind of goes with the uh, comes with the territory, so to speak, if you're going to do business with the government. Um, the article mentioned that the Open and Responsive Government Act of 2019, a uh, piece of bipartisan legislation, and the article mentions it as pending at the time that the article was going to the press. I did look it up. It is still pending in before the Judiciary Committee of the Senate. And that act would uh, put a explicit harm requirement back into FOIA. It, it would put it explicitly into the text of FOIA. Does that seem like an appropriate action for the legislature to take? I mean, the harm requirement worked reasonably well, it seems like, for about 50 years until the court decided it, it wasn't actually there. I think anytime you can take ambiguity out of a law is for the benefit. Um I think that as cases are presented, so if we develop a a specific statute that includes harm and then future cases show that it's too narrow, then that's how you, you know, hear cases that would allow for the expansion of that definition. Uh, but to just not have it at all, what are we um, what are we really doing? <laughs> I think that that just makes for. Um, a lot of problems as we're seeing now. Yeah, I agree with Courtney. Um, I think that the clarity is needed, especially when you're dealing with justices that say they don't want to make the law. They want the legislators to make the law and they're here to interpret the law. And so this is a perfect example of how the legislation can make the law a little more clear. That way we don't have all these justices dissenting or agreeing or keep going up the the. Start get because the law was way too ambiguous. 
I guess I lament the fact that the bipartisan legislation is, um, you know, on life support and committee at this point. I hope it does come out and I hope it does work to further flesh out and define this law so that the court isn't necessarily placed with all these questions that they may or may not be willing to answer. And with that, we're uh, just about out of time. Thanks again to our panel, Courtney, Naila, and Seth. Uh, reminder, you can find a link to the article discussed by going to lawsreviewsquared.com and looking at the episode notes. If you want information from us, you can file a FOIA request by Twittering at Squared Law. And please fo- uh, like, follow, subscribe, or give us a rating wherever you found this podcast. Audio post-processing by Mohammed Salim. See you next time.